PGCE Research Bites, student teacher research from the team behind Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. Hello and welcome back to PGCE Research Bites, which is where we showcase the very best student teacher research from the Cardiff Partnership for Initial Teacher Education. And I'm very glad to be joined today by Christy Scott, who is one of our international PGC primary students. Welcome, Christy. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Tell us where you're from then and what's brought you here to Cardiff. Um, so I'm from Canada and Ontario near Toronto. And I was, I've been interested in going in a teaching career for quite a while. And I pursued some other um, some other interests post-university and when it came post-pandemic and I was thinking about my future I realized I really do want to do teaching and I had learned about this program during um, a job fair at my school and I had it, a poster on my wall for a few years and finally after the pandemic I was like this is the time I'm going to go abroad and I learned about a lot of different opportunities in the UK, but Wales had just updated the curriculum. So that really was a draw for me to come study here at Cardiff Met. And it's been great so far. Wow, well, it's lovely having you. And that probably feels a bit like a rerun of your interview. But yeah. so, <laughs> so let's move on, shall we? Um, so you have done a piece of research on a topic which was given to you by your school. So we never name our schools because that's kind of, you know, a bit weird to do that. But what, what was your school interested in and why were they interested in it? Yeah, so my research champion at my lead partnership school gave us six different topics. And two out of the six that stood out to me was how the learning environment could encourage learner autonomy and also improving reading. And when I went to my CP1 school, which was different than my lead partnership school, I was discussing all these topics with my mentor. And um, my mentor at the time really thought that improving reading was necessary in the class at the time. It was a reception classroom, a lovely class um, and a lovely school in Cardiff. And so I started investigating that topic of reading and um, the learning environment. But reading as a topic is quite broad. And so my process was quite slow at the beginning. So at the beginning, when I was looking into improving reading, I came across a plethora of information online, and there's a lot of information that's mainly about phonics. And I knew from my um, SLT days at my lead partnership school and from my experience at my CP1 that both of the classes I observed were quite confident in their phonics strategies, and I wanted to look at improving reading from a different angle and perspective. And I had an aha moment one day when at, after an inset period, my classroom mentor was doing a classroom rearrangement because they had just watched or participated in a calf delve training that focused on learning environment. And when they were rearranging the classroom, they had so much purpose and they knew which should go where and they're creating these environments. And I realized I had a huge gap in my own knowledge of how to design a classroom. And I started to investigate that a bit more. And I realized that as teaching, I looked as being a teacher, as having the teaching strategies and delivering instructions. But really being a teacher, you're responsible for engineering an environment and an ethos that's going to provide um, the best learning opportunity for your students. So I started to go a bit deeper into how the environment could influence reading and learner autonomy. And I landed on my topic. Well, that's a lovely angle. I mean, speaking as someone who had 24 of these things to mark, it was yeah. really interesting and kind of refreshing angle on, as you rightly say, quite a hot topic of reading. So you were kind of sent off to go and find six key sources from the literature. So let's take a bit of a deep dive into those. What was the first one that you had a read of? 
So the first one that I came across, which really created the framework for my whole paper, was Peter Barrett's article, and it was called The um, the Benefits of a Holistic Multilevel Analysis of How the Physical Environment Impacts Academic Achievement. Quite a mouthful. But this article was really interesting to me because Peter Barrett focused on over 275 schools in the UK. So the context was extremely relevant to Cardiff and to the schools that I was working in and to Cardiff Met. And Peter Barrett discovered that there is really three main design parameters when it comes to talking about the physical environment. And he um, distinguish these as the naturalness factor, individualness, and then levels of stimulation. And he did a bunch of research, both qualitative and quantitative research, to determine if these levels of the physical environment could impact academic success. And he did find some pretty interesting results that the physical environment does impact um, academic success and that it's something that schools aren't putting a lot of effort at the time into um, improving and working on. So that created the framework for the rest of my paper. Yeah, so that's a really nice baseline, isn't it, to kind of build on. Yeah, what did you do next then? Where did you go to read? So from Peter Barrett's article, I moved on to an article from Chu, which Chu looked at how the aesthetics of a learning environment could impact academic success. And I thought that was really interesting because it fell under the individualness and ownership parameter that Peter Barrett had set out. And so in Chu's article, they created different classroom settings that were aesthetically pleasing in classrooms. And it was actually um, held, it was held in a small classroom in Taiwan. So the context was a bit different than Peter Barrett's UK context, but they did find that when they had these beautifully designed classrooms with classroom libraries that had plenty of resources that were relevant to the students and that were with um, nice colors and clean and organized, then the students had better success. And with that, the organization was a key factor that was seen in a lot of the articles because organization allows for learner autonomy because they're able to access the resources themselves. And when they can do that, they feel that ownership over, um, over their learning. Yeah, so we're starting to join the dots already, aren't we, between those articles. Okay, so what next? Well, after that, um, I took a different spin and I wanted to see how the digital competency framework could apply to learning environments and also to learner autonomy and how it could impact reading. So there was an article by Oakley, and Oakley was looking at how you could load tablets or iPads with different with different apps that allowed students to practice their reading skills and also access them individually and on their own time. And they found that students who, um, or classrooms that incorporated tablets with these multimodal apps were able to improve the pupils' academic achievement, specifically in reading. And in Peter Barrett's article, he found that when you create distinct learning environments, the students can engage with them and they have Um, more ownership over their learning. And he specifically outlined creating a digital learning center. So in Oakley's article, they offered creating these um, tablets that were preloaded and students could access them. Then they could practice their literacy skills, practice their reading, and they had better achievement. So in terms of my article, I found that if classrooms could design a space that was a digital space dedicated to practicing reading using these 
apps and practicing their digital competence, then um, they would have more success with their reading. Yeah, and this is where it, it really went from a good art, um, assignment to a great assignment, I think, for me, because you could very easily have gone through your six art- articles banging away at the same point about having a nice, tidy classroom. And what was really refreshing was you kind of came back round at it from somewhere slightly different and, and came at it from the digital angle. So some nice, nice ideas there. Thank you. And I recognise that not all classrooms may have the resources mm-hmm. to have a digital corner, but it's something that if classrooms do have those resources or if a school has the resources to have resources that can be shared between classrooms, it is a really important thing to start including digital resources because it's such a big thing in learning right now and it's part of that digital competency framework. So it's a really neat tool to have if you're able to access it. Yeah, okay. So what did you do next? So after that, there was an article that I looked into um, by Sugat and colleagues and it was looking at how fine motor skills also can encourage decoding and reading success. And this was another angle that was different, again, because we're looking at fine motor skills rather than the physical environment. But their article actually looked at how if you don't have high quality resources in the classroom, such as like pencils that have a sharpened tip and tools to practice fine motor skills, then students struggled more with their decoding and reading success. They actually gave students an impaired pencil. So it was a pencil that had steel at the tip and a regular pencil. And they found that there is actually not just a correlational link with fine motor skills and reading success, but a causal link that if they don't have the resources, such as a good working pencil, then they did struggle more. So when I was comparing this to how to create a reading classroom and Peter Barrett's article, this um, fell under Peter Barrett's individualized um, sector where it's important to have these high quality materials that students can access and to have these fine motor um, opportunities to practice fine motor skills. So this means in the classroom having opportunities where students can use pinch grips or they can use scissors or they can do beading and that will overall help them um, with their reading success if they have access to those opportunities as well as the utensils such as pencils that are sharpened and working and pens that are filled. So I thought that was another take um, that wasn't just about how the classroom looked but what are you including in your classroom to promote success. Yeah and how fascinating that it comes into that because I suppose there's always a danger that you're going to read this stuff and you're going to come up with a load of completely impossible utopian recommendations but actually Sharpen your pencils, folks. You know, it's, mm. it's as simple as that. And, and what a kind of odd one to, to be really relevant. It was. I was surprised that there was a relationship between the fine motor skills and decoding in terms of reading. But they did say that just um, when we're looking at a foundation phase classroom and they're getting down those key skills of um, mark making and um, phonics and getting those phonemes right and matching them to graphemes, it's really important that they're able to practice those fine motor skills and writing at the same time as decoding. There's a huge causal link. Yeah, so you'd already built up quite a detailed picture by this point, but we still got, what, one or two left? <laughs> There's two more. Two left, yeah. And this is where I wanted to look into phonics. And mm. so I mentioned when I first looked into improving reading, there's a plethora of information on phonics and the reading wars and whole body learning versus Um, versus phonics and it was quite overwhelming at first but I found one interesting article and that was by Campbell and it was um, quite recent 2021 and Campbell just challenges the idea of phonics and the overuse of phonics in classrooms and I thought it was a really interesting um, 
perspective because she still talks about the importance of phonics and how phonics is really successful and deemed um, the best approach by many different um, people of high regard throughout the UK. But in some classrooms, there's such an emphasis and an overemphasis on phonics that we're losing the shared reading aspect. And so her article is about um, providing shared picture book opportunities in a world that's full of phonics. And so she went to a bunch of different classrooms throughout the UK as well. And she was looking at their classroom libraries. And that was another piece that I thought was very practical that teachers who read this assignment or looked at her report could see really um, clear steps of how they could improve their own classrooms. And so Campbell was looking at, do they have accessible materials? Are they high quality? Are the books organized and there's not too many books because having too many books in a foundation phase classroom can actually be quite overwhelming for students. So having a clearly arranged set of books in your library, having a really welcoming and cozy environment that encourages reading, all of these things can provide um, a better opportunity for students to practice reading and to share the reading experience as a class or in small groups. And I thought that was really interesting to promote also that um, idea of reading for pleasure and the well-being that when students want to read and they're sharing this experience, it's a social experience, it builds that love for reading. And I thought it was neat that she challenged the idea that phonics is really um, a really great strategy, but when is it too much? When are we taking away from other really important aspects of teaching? And so I think it's the idea that everything is good in moderation and maybe we should take a more balanced approach and include phonics but also include shared book reading opportunities. Yeah we ask for criticality in these assignments and sometimes people kind of think well what does that actually mean and that, that's such a good example of just just kind of taking a step back and challenging the sort of thing that is everywhere these sort of shared assumptions and having the confidence to kind of go nope I'm going to show you why there's another view there and a bit more of a balance to be struck mm. yeah. yeah okay so what was your final source my final source um has to do with Par uh, peter barrett's parameter of levels of stimulation so this is where i wanted to look at the actual physical the four walls what's around us in the classroom and how is that impacting student success so this article was by fisher and colleagues and it was about the visual environment in terms of posters, colors, um, having a literacy-rich environment, and how that might cause distractions and impair students' ability to focus and read successfully. And so in this study, Fisher and their colleagues hired coders who created you know, a sequence that when they noticed different levels of distraction of students in um, a classroom that had visual stimuli and a classroom that had no visual stimuli, they created a sequence where they could quantify the number of distractions and how um, how distracting the environment was. And they did find that students that were in the visually stimulating environment did have more difficulty and more distractions and were less academically successful, where the students that were in a more calm environment with just clear walls were able to stay more focused. And so with Fisher's um, recommendation, he just said that um, teachers should be mindful when they're curating these environments. I personally thought um, when I walk into a classroom and I see happy colors and lots of different um, posters and resources, I think that looks like the teachers put a lot of effort into creating this beautiful environment. But really, it's important to consider that although it might 
look nice at first? Is it conducive to a focused environment and a calm environment for students who also may have additional learning needs and find those distractions overstimulating? And he found that it would be best if you're considering decorating your environment to use lower levels, um, lower colors, plainer walls, and when you are decorating to use the student's own work because that promotes that ownership and that feeling of importance in the classroom. And that's really important for well-being and learner autonomy and overall success in the class. Yeah, that was another challenge to some quite embedded assumptions in there that, that you know, we've got to have stuff all over our classrooms. I mean, I read that I was terrible at displays when yeah. I was a teacher, so you made me feel good. <laughs> good, yeah. Yeah, it's good to challenge these things. So, I mean, that's a really detailed picture. You, you chose a really interesting angle and now you came at it from so many directions. You challenged, you, you know, you, you came up with really concrete advice as well. And then you crunched all of this into a visual summary, which you then <laughs> presented to your school. So what were your final recommendations to your school then? My final recommendations were for the teachers at both my lead partner school and my clinical practice to consider Peter Barrett's three parameters of the naturalness, individualization, and levels of stimulation. And I thought that provided a really nice framework. And Peter Barrett published a free resource for teachers that's called the Clever Classrooms Report. And it creates a really, um, really useful summary of all of his ideas and all of his findings and specific actions that teachers can take in their classroom to meet these different levels and to improve the physical environment. I also thought that you can seek um, further help from professionals such as Peter Barrett, but there's also other professionals such as Kath Delve, who is a Cardiff um, local, and she provided the training that gave me that aha moment when I first was looking into this topic. And so she was talking about the physical environment and creating different learning zones. So that's a really helpful resource for teachers in this environment. And there's also professional architects, which would be a much bigger move and would be as a for school who's looking at it as a whole that would be a larger scale plan mm. but Peter Barrett does this kind of work and there are other professionals out there who might be able to give a more professional insight into what they could do to improve their environment in their school. Other more pragmatic options are creating these defined clear learning zones and considering the advice of the articles that includes creating a digital corner where there's tablets with these preloaded games that students can access, having a warm and welcoming and inviting classroom library that promotes shared reading that is at the student's level and that has books that match their interest so that they're accessing those environments on their own and also creating environments that offer opportunities for the fine motor skill development. I was specifically looking at foundation phase and so that's where those experiences are really important. They might look a bit different if you're looking at a key stage two classroom or an ALN setting, but I think that it's a really good idea if you're not sure where to start in your classroom, start creating those zones and it's kind of a checklist of do I have a digital corner, do I have fine motor skills, do I have a reading corner, do I have an area for then maths and creativity and exploration and all of those things together. 
In terms of fine motor skills, there's also professional evidence-based intervention programs in Cardiff that teachers can look into. So at my um, CP1 placement, we looked into the Handwriting Motorway program, which is a really great program that focuses a lot on fine motor skills and gross motor skills and how that impacts reading and writing success. And there's also an intervention program called SHINE that is a similar evidence-based program that looks at specific ways to improve students' skills when they're learning in the beginning stages of reading and writing. And then my last suggestion was to do with the physical environment and what we talked about with levels of stimulation in terms of posters and decorations. I think it's fun at first. I, if I were to have a classroom without reading this, I think I would have gone out and put all the bright colors and the rainbows and thought that that would create that positive ethos and that exciting environment. But now that I've read this, I have a better understanding that um, they recommend 20 to 50 percent of levels of stimulation and the rest should be clear space. And those parts that are decorated, make sure it's including students' work. And so I recommended all of those ideas to my lead partner school and hopefully that will help them create reading classrooms. Yeah, so your school kind of commissioned you, I guess, to do this research. They, they were obviously interested in in this, although you, you took a more focused angle on their, their bigger topic. You then had to present this to the school. So, I mean, I guess two questions. What was it like for you and what did they make of it? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I was quite nervous to present this to the school because my lead partnership school is a very excellent school and they have high standards and they do a really great job of incorporating all of the best interventions and they're constantly improving on their work. So I felt a bit nervous presenting my ideas just because they are they have such high standards but they were very receptive and it was a really nice opportunity to talk to them and I was actually um, presenting my work to someone who was from a partner Welsh school and they mentioned that they work as the environmental coordinator there and so we were discussing the different all my research we had a nice conversation about it and we also started talking about then how you can incorporate role play into the environment and how outdoor learning you can present um, different opportunities with not just the indoor environment but the outdoor environment of a school so they were very receptive to ideas it was a great opportunity to communicate with them And now that I'm in my CP2, I'm at that school. So I'm able to talk with my mentor to discuss um, how we could implement um, some of these findings or if it's of interest for her in her classroom. You're having an impact then. Hopefully. We'll see. Yeah, Yeah, I hope so. Oh, that's great. Well, I mean, thinking uh, about you now and your next steps, um, what's, I mean, you've you've kind of hinted at the fact that your classroom is not going to be the kind of riot of colour that it was going to be originally, Mm -hmm. but... What are the steps for you now as a teacher off the back of this? And I suppose also now that you've had a taste of doing this kind of research, where might you want to go next as a researcher as well? Um, Well, after doing this research, I felt like I just hit the surface of this topic. And I talked about when I started looking into reading there's so much information out there about different reading strategies. And when I started looking into then the environment, there's so many different directions that you can go in. So personally, I felt really interested on how this work could apply to either an older classroom or an ALN setting. And we had an SLT day where we talked about 
um, differentiation and also how you can create learning environments that are accessible to ALN students and that's a safe space for them and supporting everyone's success. And I do think that an ALN classroom might physically look different than a classroom in just a regular school. And so in the future and in my future practice, I'd really like to see how I can apply these skills and research how that would affect an ALN setting and an older setting. Um, and I'm also interested in the future if I'm, I'm from Canada and if I continue teaching or if I continue my teaching career in Canada, I would like to see the differences between this research here and how it impacted the school I was in and how it might differ when I go back to Canada, just culturally and with a different curriculum. But I'm interested to explore it a bit more and it's, it has inspired my joy for researching. Well, that's great. And it's Canada that's going to have you once you've qualified, is it, rather than the UK? Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> well, they'll be lucky to have you. Thank you. That's Thank been you. really interesting and a great example of, of how you can make a difference with research. I hope you found that interesting. Uh, we'll be back with another PGC Research Bite for you very soon. But thank you to Christy. Thank you so for much for us. having me. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> Wonderful. And we will be back soon. PGC Research Bites comes from the team behind Emma and Tom Talk Teaching and is presented this week by me, Tom Breeze. It showcases the best student teacher research from the Cardiff Partnership for Initial Teacher Education. Thanks to Christy Scott from PGC Primary Education who joined us today to share her research. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blandford and the music is by Karen Stewart. We'll be back with a regular episode next week and PGC Research Bites will be back soon. <laughs>